We're going to talk a little bit about what the Bible would have to say about discipleship. And I, here's, here's the way I want us to look at this, because this is my whole goal with this discipleship ministry that we're going to start in this class that we're going to have. This is my whole goal with this. And I, I encourage you, I guess for a couple different reasons, uh, sign up for that. Be a part of that. You might say, well, I've been saved for many, many years. But uh, certainly, number one, we can, we can always grow. We can always grow in the Lord. We can always mo learn, learn more about his word. Uh, but then also we can always have opportunities then to take what we've learned and to be able to share it to somebody else. So I think one of the highlights or one of the blessings in my heart of this discipleship ministry that I'd like to start here at our church is uh, having individuals that will be willing to go through a discipleship, uh, go through discipleship classes and then perhaps maybe even in their heart taking on the challenge of saying, I, I want to be a help in discipling other individuals as well. So to take what we've learned and disciple other individuals as well and, and, and take personal responsibility for those things. And so we're going to look at this in the Word of God tonight, and I trust this will be an encouragement. And the message tonight, we're going to use a, a, an acrostic tonight. We don't always do this in messages, but we're going to use an acrostic tonight for the word disciple. For the word disciple. And so I want us to see the letters of that and those, the, the, uh, the thoughts that we give with the acrostic of the word disciple to be uh, a help in, in, in us understanding as a church family why we want to have a discipleship ministry. And then uh, I want us to look at it this way as we go through the passages of Scripture tonight. I want you to look at it in two different ways. Number one, I want us to look at this discipleship ministry in, 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 in regards to our church as a whole and uh, being able to work to, to disciple individuals, but then uh, perhaps what the Lord would have you to do, what he would have you to do personally uh, in, in, the great, in fulfilling the Great Commission to be a discipler, to disciple others in, in seeing them grow in the Lord. And that's, that's our whole goal behind this. We want to see people growing in the Lord, and we want to be active in fulfilling the Great Commission. And so notice what the Bible says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse number 18. Now, first of all, we've got to understand, and I know for, for most of us in here, if not all of us, I think this goes without saying, but I like to say it almost every time I read the Great Commission, I like to say this. This Great Commission is not given for just a select group of people. God gives this Great Commission to every single Christian. So it is the responsibility of every single Christian. As a matter of fact, I really truly believe that as we are growing in the Lord, I truly believe that there are levels of growth that we go through. And one of the highest levels that we can get to in our Christian life of growth is to get to a place where we, become, where we take the personal responsibility upon ourselves for this lost world and for souls that need to be saved. We say, this is my, I've been saved. I took the next step of being baptized. I took the next step of surrendering my life to the Lord. I took the next step of getting involved in service some, uh, someplace. I, 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 took a, I took another step of, uh, of saying, I want to read my Bible every day. I want to pray every day. I want to I be in church every time the doors are open. And we're taking all these steps of growth. And then we get to that, that level of saying, I, I, I understand that it's my personal responsibility to win people to Jesus Christ. It's not just for the preacher, although the preacher ought to do it. It's not just for the evangelist, although he ought to do it. Not just for the missionary, not just for the full-time laborer. It's for every single person that is a Christian. We ought to be active and be personal, personally responsible 
to share the gospel with other people. That's what the Great Commission is. And Jesus gives it to us. He says here in, in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 28, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Again, not just a select group, but to go all of us, to go and teach all nations. There's another important part of the Great Commission, we're to teach all nations. Aren't you glad that we can reach our city for Christ? We can reach our county for Christ. We can reach our state for Christ. But then we reach far above that. We reach into our, our, our country for Christ and then the entire world through missionaries that we support in different places as we are giving our money to them so that we can help them to, uh, to see a soul saved. And so he says, uh, uh, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, here is verse number 20 is what we mean when we talk about discipleship. Here's where it is right here. So we've got, we're seeing people saved, then we're seeing people baptized. And then look at what it says in verse number 20, teaching them to observe all things Whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Here's the thing. He even gives the promise of his power and his presence while we do it. Isn't that a blessing? His, his Holy Spirit's power is going to be on us. His presence is going to be right there. He says, lo, I am with you always. So we have the Great Commission. Now, another thought I like to bring up when I talk about the Great Commission, and probably bring it up every time, but it's the simple thought that it's mentioned in every one of the Gospels, isn't it? So we got Matthew, and we got Mark, we got Luke, we got John. And then we got the book of Acts, even, that gives us the Great Commission. And so it's mentioned uh, all through the Gospels, and then in the book of Acts, the challenge that we have been given by God, the commandment we've been given by God to go. So that's a verse that we could go to to say, why do we want to have a discipleship ministry? Well, that's why we want to have one, because God has commissioned us to see people saved, to uh, see people follow the Lord in, in baptism, and then to be uh, seeing people, uh, teaching people to observe all things. Now, let's go to 2 Timothy. Just some verses kind of as an introduction here. 2 Timothy and chapter number 2. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. And to look, if you would, at the first two verses in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to look at verse 1 and verse number 2. And we're going to see uh, something that uh, uh, Paul exhorts Timothy to do. This book is a book that Paul wrote, and he is encouraging Timothy, his young son in the faith, and he gives him some challenges here. And notice what he says in verse number one. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, look at what he says in verse number two, which is certainly one of the reasons why we would say we need to have a discipleship ministry here, because it's written very clearly in the Word of God. Why do we do what we do? Because it's in the pages of this book. And notice what it says, verse two. And the things... That thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to, uh, to uh, teach others also. Now, this is uh, uh, several, several generations of individuals that are teaching people uh, the truths of the word of God and allowing these people to grow in the Lord. And then uh, several, uh, again, taking what I've learned and uh, passing it on uh, to somebody else. So here's what Paul says. Paul says, I've passed on my faith to you. He said, as a result of that, Timothy, he says, I want you to go and I want you to take the faith that I've passed on to you and I want, to, I want you to commit it to faithful men. So Paul, I've get, Paul says, I've given it to you, Timothy. Now I want you to take it and give it to faithful men. That's discipleship. Taking what you know and passing it on to somebody else. 
And then the last thing that he says in verse 2 is this, who shall be able to teach others also? Do you see just several levels of discipleship there? Really, we could even say almost several generations of discipleship there. Paul's saying, I'm teaching young Timothy in the faith, my young son in the faith. And then he's to go and he's to teach somebody else. And then those people that he taught now are going to double the efforts, right? Because now they're going to go and they're going to teach others also. Isn't it great to see that plan of discipleship that God has as Paul gives it to Timothy? Then look with me if you want at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. And once you found that, if you could look down at verse number 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 2. Now this talks about when we first trust Christ as our Savior. The Bible refers to a young Christian a person that is just newly born into the family of God as a newborn babe. And look at what the Bible says in verse number two. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. Now notice this, that ye may grow thereby. Now we want somebody who's certainly new in the faith to be able to grow in the Lord. You say, all right, well, why would I then, who have been saved for many years, uh, want to take a discipleship a class uh, when I've been saved for many years and I've already uh, grown in the Lord in some ways. Well, again, because obviously we can always learn things, but then so that we can pass on what we have learned to somebody else and be a discipler. But he says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, uh, they want to grow by that milk of the, of the word of God that they're taking so they can grow with the word of God. So newborn babes need to grow, don't they? And they need to grow as they take the milk of the Word of God, and then eventually they take in the meat of the Word of God, don't they? As they are growing. So one of the reasons for a discipleship ministry is this. God's commissioned us to go. And then we see that we're to pass our faith on to somebody else. And then simply this. Why do we want to have a discipleship ministry? Because people that are new in the faith, they need to grow. And they need to understand what God would have for them to do so that they can grow to be the Christian God wants them to be. Sometimes I think, sadly... Uh, people that uh, have become Christians kind of flounder around in the faith because they've never really had somebody come along beside them and disciple them and help to see them grow in the Lord. And then look one more verse, if you would. This is a verse we memorized as a church family. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. 2 Timothy, or, I'm sorry, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 18. And it says this, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. What's he encouraging us to do? We're to grow in grace. Now, again, sometimes for the new convert, for the new believer, for that, one, that person that's newly saved, the newborn babe, they might not be able to grow in grace unless somebody comes along beside them and tries to encourage them, tries to disciple them in the things of the Lord. So that's why we desire to have a discipleship ministry. Now, we talked about the Great Commission. Talk to how important the Great Commission is, how it's given in the Gospels, how it's given in the book of Acts. Can I say this? I guess one of the encouragements for a desire to have a discipleship ministry here and a discipleship class is simply this, that when a church and a Christian, so we'll narrow it down even to an individual here today. When a church, when an individual is, as a Christian, is excited about the Great Commission, it is accompanied by the presence and the power of God. And you say, well, okay, so th that, that, was, that would be one of the reasons why we want a discipleship ministry, right? Yes, because we want God's presence and we want his power on our church, don't we? And when we're excited about the Great Commission, 
When we're wanting to see people saved, we're wanting to see people follow the Lord in baptism and then teaching them to observe all things, growing in, dis in discipleship and growing in the word of God. Those are things, as we're excited about the Great Commission, it is accompanied by the presence and the power of Almighty God. And we're thankful for that. And so there is an importance when it comes to discipleship in our own lives and then in the lives of our church as well. So we want to take this word disciple and I want to try to encourage you. But again, here's what I need you to do in your mind and in your heart tonight. As you hear this message, as you hear the acrostic here for the word disciple, you need to look at it two different ways. Number one, our church has a whole discipling individuals. But then what can you personally, individually do to disciple someone in their faith? Not just saying, well, that again, that's the pastor's responsibility or that's one of the Sunday school teachers responsibility. No, what can we as a church as a whole do? And then what can you personally do? What would, what would God allow you to personally do when it comes to discipling somebody? And by the way, let's start asking God even tonight to give us opportunities to uh, disciple individuals. And as we begin this class, that the Lord would use that in a great way. So the letter D tonight, we're going to look through the word disciple tonight. The letter D, here's what our church needs to do. Here's what we need to do as individuals. We need to determine to disciple someone. Letter D. We need to just make a determination in our hearts. We're going to disciple someone. And that's why we want to start this class, so that we can be discipling and so that we can be disciplers as well. And let God use us in that way. So letter D, let's determine to disciple someone. Just make a decision in our hearts as individuals. We're going to make a decision in our church. And by the way, as the leader, as the pastor of our church, we're trying to establish this decision in your heart that we want to have a discipleship ministry here. And uh, the opportunity the Lord will give us to do that. So we're making a decision that we want to help others to grow. That's what we want to do. We want to help others to grow. So let's make a decision in our life to disciple someone. Uh, can I say this? And, I, and it goes back to what I said about the Great Commission. The growth of Christians really needs to be something that becomes our personal responsibility. We need to get to a place in our lives as Christians where we say, it is my personal responsibility to see others around me spiritually growing. Uh, not, again, not just coming to church and not just being around people and fellowshipping with people, but saying, it, I'm going to take it as my personal responsibility to see other people growing in their lives and in their Christian lives. Let's look with me, if you would, at Galatians chapter number four. For, now, for some of these points, we have some verses that are going to go along with it. And so let's look at Galatians chapter number four this evening. Galatians chapter four. And to look down, if you would, <clears throat> excuse me, at verse number 19. Galatians chapter 4 and to verse number 19. And now notice what Paul says here as he talks to the, he speaks to the churches in the region of Galatia. He says here, Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. Notice this, he says, my little children. So again, referring to those that are saved as the little children. Those that are converts, those that have come to trust Christ as, my, as their Savior. Notice what he says, of whom, now there's a word I'm going to stress here, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. What does Paul there say? Notice again, my little children, of whom I travail in birth again, until Christ be formed in you. He uses the word again. He says, I've travailed in birth again. All right, so that means he had to tra travail in birth a second time. So you say, well, what, what is Paul trying to say here? Well, the first birth was when he was able to present the gospel to somebody, when he was able to see them saved. 
But the second birth that Paul is talking about that he is travailing in is the birth of the, in the investment of somebody's life for the purpose of discipleship, for the purpose of seeing somebody grow. So he wanted to be used of God to watch someone grow. And can I say this? That's ought to be the desire of our hearts, that we want to be used of God to watch someone grow. Now, we're going to have to do it with God's help. Again, just like we talked about this morning, when we talk about always abounding in patience, we preached about this morning. Again, we can only do it with the power and the strength of God and His Holy Spirit working in our lives. That's the only way we're going to be able to, as Christians, as God's people, see someone and help uh, to be used of God to see somebody growing in their life as a Christian. The Holy Spirit, God, has to help us. So let's use an earthly, a physical illustration today. You think about the birth of a child and how that a mother will travail in birth. The pain that she goes through to be able to give birth to a, a child. That is one way where she travails with a child in, in the first birth that takes place. You say, all right, well, all right, so for a parent, what would be the next way that they are travailing in their life? Well, it's as they are raising their children. Perhaps, and again, I've never gone through, obviously, the, the, the pain of giving birth to a child. I've been, obviously, with my wife as she's given birth to her children. But perhaps maybe there'd even be a mother that would give testimony to the fact that the raising part was maybe more painful or challenging than the giving of the birth part. You say they, 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 they both took work, didn't they? At times, they both can be painful, can't they? As we give birth to the child, but then as we go to the next step of saying, I want to raise that child. Now, can I say this? Uh, for parents that have, that have adult children, I think you'd be able to testify to this already as you've raised your children. Then those like myself and others that are sitting in here that are right now raising children, we're not going to raise good children just simply because we want good children. It's going to take work, isn't it? And so you think about the time, perhaps if you have adult children, you say, I think about the time when I was raising my children, I didn't just get good children because I wanted them. It took work. And that's what God is saying here in the, 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 the spiritual birth of a person that's been saved, but then to see them grow in the Lord as well. And so let's, take, let's, let's let God use us with his help to determine that we're going to disciple someone to be able to see them not only uh, born spiritually, but to see them growing just like a parent would raise, put the work into raising their child, helping them to grow and know what to do. That's what we do with that newborn babe. Then let her eye this evening, let her eye. So we talked about determine to disciple someone. Now here's where discipleship uh, can, be, can, be, uh, can be challenging. Uh, here's number, number two, letter I. Let's learn with a discipleship ministry here at our church and then individually. Let's learn, letter I, to invest ourselves in others. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is investing myself and yourself in someone else. It's our church investing ourselves in other people. Would you take your Bible and would you look at Philippians chapter number 2? Philippians chapter number 2, and look down, if you would, at verse number 4. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 4. He says this, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also 
on the things of others. So don't, we're not looking at just our own selves, our own desires, our own wants, our own needs, but we are concentrated on others. We are investing ourselves and taking interest, interesting ourselves in, the, in other people's lives. Now, sometimes, I don't know if you would agree with me, but sometimes that may take us outside of our comfort zone. Because some that are here tonight, you say, well, I don't know about this thing of discipling somebody else because I would not refer to myself. Maybe there'd be some tonight that would say, I wouldn't really refer to myself as a people person. To just be able to go up and to be able to, 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 to try to work hard to, to build and maybe establish a relationship with somebody and try to see them growing in their faith. I don't really look at myself maybe perhaps as a people person. Well, that's where sometimes the things that we do for the Lord as we invest ourselves in the lives of others and taking interest in other people's lives where we come outside of our comfort zone. Not really the person perhaps that we would say is our personality, but God enables us to do those things. And so uh, uh, to, to, to think to ourselves, what is going to be in the best interest of somebody else? Not in the best interest of myself at all times. Now, again, we, we have times where we've got to think of ourselves. We've got to think of the things and the needs that we have. But to say not always to concentrate upon that, but to, uh, but to think to myself in my mind, what would be the best interest of others? Now, we talked just a minute ago, but a great illustration that we can give is parents as they've raised their children. What does a mother and a father do as they're raising their children? They are thinking, what is the best interest of my child? Now, when we are correcting and disciplining our child, it, it doesn't all, it's not always something that it makes us happy or brings us a whole bunch of joy, but it is for the best interest of our child, isn't it? You, you've heard that phrase before, and again, as children, we didn't understand it. Oh, this hurts me more than it hurts you. You know, as children, we didn't always understand that. Wait a minute. I'm the one getting disciplined. How's it hurting you more than it's hurting me? But we, loved our, we love our children, don't we? And we are going to do for them what is in their best interest. By the way, just like our Heavenly Father does for us. He, he gives to us that which is in our best interest. And, and he even gives that illustration. How he talks about, it, would a father, if, if, a, if a child would ask a father for a piece of bread, would he give him a stone? You've read that passage of scripture in the gospels there. Would he give him a stone? He said, how much more will your heavenly father meet the needs that you have? If you have needs, he's going to take care of you. Why? Because you are, God's interested in his children, isn't he? And he's interested in what's best for them. And as we want to see people grow in the Lord, we're going to interest ourselves in them. We're going to invest ourselves in them and what is best for them. I think of an illustration of a coach as he's coaching a team, just like a parent. When they're raising children, they're doing what's best interest for their child. A coach, when he's coaching a team, there's times when a coach might have to make a decision that's pretty tough. Maybe to sit an athlete for a time because he hasn't been doing what he should do. And, or maybe perhaps because he hasn't been playing in the game the way he should. And he's saying that's for the best interest of the team. I'm making that decision. It might not be a popular decision. Not everybody might go along with it. But I'm making a decision that is in the interest of the team as a whole. And that's what God wants us to do as children of God. He wants us to look at uh, what, is in the, what is in the best interest of others that are around us? Just like a mother or father would do. Just like a coach would do. And by the way, just like a church should do. Just like a Christian should do. What is in the best interest of my fellow Christian? 
to be able to grow in the Lord. So as a result of that, I'm going to invest myself and take interest in others instead of myself. Now, letter S. Letter S. Now, this gets a little bit more personal here. It gets a little bit more personal with discipleship. Here's letter S. We talked about determine to disciple somebody. Interest ourselves in others. Invest ourselves in others. But then the third one is this, letter S, single someone out that you can help. Single someone out that you can help. Now, we'll talk about this a little bit later on in the message, but aren't you thankful that for you in your life, there was an individual, maybe individuals, who took the time to single you out and try to help you to grow in the Lord? I know for me personally, I'm thankful. And I could name a couple names here tonight of individuals. I could name a handful of individuals who took the time to single me out to try to see if they could help me to grow in the Lord. I want you to turn in your Bible tonight, if you would, to Luke chapter 19. I want us to notice something in the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 19 and look with me, if you would, at verse number 10. Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10. Now, we're going to ask ourselves this question tonight. Why was it that Jesus came? Now, the first answer we would give every time, the first answer we would give every time, right away, we'd say, why did Jesus come? Well, he came to give his life, didn't he? He came to, this is the verse we're going to read, he came to seek and to save, didn't he? Luke chapter 19 and verse number 10, the Bible says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So the first and foremost reason why Jesus came was to seek and to save, to give his life for others. But I'd like to challenge you to consider this tonight. I do not believe that's the only reason he came. I believe Jesus all throughout the word of God is a wonderful example to us. So Jesus came so that he could be an, an example. But I think something else that Jesus did that speaks to discipleship. Jesus not only came to seek and to save, he not only came to be a wonderful example to us all through the word of God of, of things that we need to do. Matter of fact, we looked at his example of patience this morning, didn't we? How he endured the cross. The same way he asked us to run with patience the race that's set before us. So he was a perfect example for that. But here's something else that Jesus did. One of the reasons why he came. He came so that he could train the 12. He came so that he could train the 12. You think about those 12 disciples that Jesus, in a personal way, trained and discipled. I want you to take your Bible, if you would, and I want you to look at Luke chapter 6. We're there in the book of Luke. Look with me, if you would, at Luke chapter number 6. And I want us to notice several things <clears throat> that Jesus says here as he is calling his disciples. Luke chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse number 12. Now, I want to say something right before I read that. When Jesus was investing in the lives of these 12 men that he had chosen, he only had three and a half years to do it. You talk about taking a short period of time and really being diligent with it. Jesus was diligent with those three and a half years, wasn't he? He realized, I've got three and a half years of earthly ministry. I want to train these men, these 12 men, while I'm here on earth. Now, for, for some of us, we would look at the lives of those 12 men. Many of you are sitting here tonight that were here way back when we did our Wednesday night Bible study on the 12 disciples. We went through the lives of every one of the 12 disciples. And what did we see in the lives of every one of them? If you were here with us on Wednesday night, when we went through that Bible study of the 12 apostles, what did we see? We saw flaws and weaknesses in their lives, didn't we? We saw problem areas. We saw things that they needed to work on, which, by the way, set a perfect example for us because we see flaws and weaknesses in our lives and God still uses us. 
So God is still able to take us and use us. But we saw flaws and, er and, and weaknesses in their life where we might have looked at them and we might have said, I don't even know if I would have wanted these men to be the 12 men that I chose to be my disciples. But Jesus thought differently and he even loved them, didn't he? He wanted to train them. He wanted to see them used. And so before Jesus calls these men, the Bible tells us he spends a night praying. I mean, that is how serious he was about the 12 men that he was going to choose. Look at this in Luke chapter 6. Look down, if you would, at verse number 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. All night he's praying right before he selects and he chooses these 12 disciples. Look at the next verse, verse number 13. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose 12, whom also he named apostles. Simon whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called Zealous, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. And by the way, there was a reason even why he chose Judas, even knowing what Judas would do. God had a plan, didn't he? Jesus had a plan. And he wanted to come so that he could train the twelve. Now again, that's not the main reason he came. We understand that. Well, that was one of the blessings of Jesus' earthly ministry. He trained, trained these 12. Now, what did he train them to do? What did he want to train them to do? Look with me, if you would, at Mark chapter number 3. Mark chapter number 3. Jesus had a goal in all of this. He had a plan. And so look at Mark chapter 3 and look down at verse number 14. All right, watch this. By the way, let's read verse 13 again because it reiterates what we saw in the book of Luke just a moment ago. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. Now watch this. And he ordained 12. That. All right, he's got a plan for them. Here's the, here's the plan. Here's the goal. That they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. What did Jesus want to do with the lives of these 12 men? He wanted them to be with him. While they were with him, he was training them, wasn't he? He was teaching them. He was training them. And then as he is training them, he says, Now I'm going to send you out to go forth and preach. Here's what we notice about Jesus. He singled out individuals that he wanted to help. God desires that we, as disciplers, to fulfill the Great Commission, we single out individuals that God would like us to invest in and disciple so that we can help them. Look with me, if you would, at the book of Acts. Now, we're studying through the book of Acts right now on Sunday night. Obviously, we put a pause on that tonight. But look at Acts chapter number 18. There's this missionary couple. Uh, the Bible uh, gives their names in Acts chapter number 18. Their names are Aquila and Priscilla. You probably heard those names in Acts chapter number 18. They're this husband and wife missionary team that's come along beside Paul here. And they're helping him in his missionary work. Well, the Bible tells us that there is a story of another man in Acts chapter number 18 that we're introduced to. Look with me, if you would, at verse number 24. And as we are reading this, can I ask you to do this in your heart and your mind? Can I ask you to think about letter S here tonight? Single someone out that you can help. Listen to what Aquila and Priscilla did real quickly here tonight. Verse 24 in Acts chapter 18. And a certain Jew named Apollos, so we've got this man now, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. So there's uh, some good things that are said about this man, Apollos, right? And the Bible says he has come to Ephesus. Now verse 25. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently... The things of the Lord, now notice verse number 
25 at the end of the verse. By the way, the Bible's telling us that this man is full of zeal. Man, he is fervent in the spirit. He is a zealous man. Notice what it says at the end of verse number 25. Diligently the things of the Lord, knowing, what's the next word? Only the baptism of John. Well, the Bible tells us this, mil, uh, this missionary couple, Aquila and Priscilla, realize that Apollos has been instructed in some things, but he doesn't have as much knowledge as he needs. So guess what the Bible tells us Aquila and Priscilla do? They single him out. And they say, we're going to help him. We're going to personally disciple this man and invest our lives in his. We're going to take interest in him. And notice what happens in verse number 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. What does the Bible say? The Bible says they sat him down, they took him in. They took him in for a while. And the Bible tells us they started explaining some things to him so that he could fully understand the scriptures. Now... Here's where this passage of Scripture gets good. Because Aquila and Priscilla, this missionary couple, they helped Apollos. Then, as a result of this missionary couple taking an interest personally in Apollos and singling him out so that they could help him, he then goes and does some great things for God. Would you finish the chapter with me? I'm sorry, the passage with me, which will finish the chapter. Look at verse 27. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia... Achaia, excuse me, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. So now he becomes a helper, doesn't he? But it gets even better. Look at verse 28. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. He takes what he had learned from somebody else, because somebody singled him out, they decided to disciple him, they decided to invest themselves, take an interest in his life, and God was able to use him. Now, letter C tonight. We talked about determined to disciple somebody. Interest yourself, invest yourself in somebody else. Single out someone you can help. Letter C. Here's what we have to understand with discipleship. Cost will be a factor. Cost will be a factor. You say, what do you mean by that? It's not easy. It's not easy. It's going to take your time. It's going to take uh, your effort. It's going to take your investment. But you say, it's what God would desire me to do. I want to see somebody growing in the Lord. So I'm singling somebody out so that I can invest, invest my life in theirs. But it'll cost you something. Not something that's going to be easy. Would you take your, by, by the way, it, it, it makes me mindful of this discipleship class that we're going to have. The discipleship class is, is going to cost us some, some uh, in, in just a small way by just saying, hey, we've got to be here a little earlier on Wednesday night. It's going to take me a little bit of time. A little bit of time, a little bit of investment to be able to even take the class. See, cost is going to be a factor. But it's something God desires from us. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, if you would. Just a couple passages of scripture here, and we'll draw ourselves to a close here real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter number 4. Look down, if you would, at verse number 15. Here's Paul again. Paul again. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse number 15. He says this, For all things are for your sakes, 
Paul says, I, what I'm doing is for your sakes. I'm investing myself in you. It's cost me my time. It's cost me my effort, my investment. But what I'm doing it is for you. And no, notice what he says, that the abundant grace might through the, thank, through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. He says, this is something, again, I, I'm desiring to invest in you. I'm desiring to invest in your life. It's Paul's way of saying, it's not about me, it's about other people. And I know we've stressed that several times tonight. It's not about me, it's not about my comforts, it's not about my ease. It's going to cost me something, but it's about other people. But I, notice, I want you to notice what he said at the end of the verse, though. Look at the end of verse number 15. He says that through, or excuse me, uh, through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Here's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying it's not about me. It's about others that one day, because I have invested in somebody else's life, we may be able to glorify God together. And think about that tonight. It's going to cost you something to invest in somebody's life. But as you're investing in somebody's life, as you see them saved, as you see them following the Lord in believer's baptism, as you see them discipled and growing in the Lord, you say, all for the purpose of glorifying God together someday, by the way, for all eternity. For all eternity, we're going to get to glorify God together. Look with me, if you would, at 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and starting in verse number 7. 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 7, it says this, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Paul is, Paul is giving the illustration, he's giving the analogy there to the church of Thessalonica. He's saying just like a nurse would cherish her children, he says that's how we've tried to be with you. And notice what he says in verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because ye were dear unto us. What did he say? He said, not only are we working to give you the gospel, but we've even given you of ourselves. Uh, 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 parents, that's what you'd say again as you're raising your children, wouldn't you? You'd say, I, I as a mom or dad gave of myself so that my child could be raised. And by the way, hopefully and prayerfully raised in the things of the Lord. We're investing our time and our uh, uh, strength into investing in the things of the Lord so that we could say, I didn't just want to present the gospel to you so that you could be saved, but I wanted to give you of my entire life. That's what Paul says to this church. Now notice what he says in verse number 9. Verse number 9 of the passage. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day. So how often did he invest himself? Night and day. What did we say? It'll cost you something. It'll cost you your time. It'll cost you your investment. It'll cost you effort. Notice what he says. We've labored day and night because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We preached unto you the gospel of God. He said we were diligent at it. It cost us something. So that we could see souls saved. We could see believers baptized. Folks added to the church. Folks discipled and growing in the Lord. Yes, it will cost us something. But aren't you thankful? I told you I would come back to this. Aren't you thankful that there were individuals who chose to invest in your life? Again, I could count on my hand uh, and, and name names here tonight. 
of individuals who as a, as a child and then into my teenage years, into my college years, into my young adult years, into my adult years who have invested themselves in me. And can I say this? It cost them something to do it. It cost them of their time and their effort and their energy and they gave an investment to my life. When we're trying to see people discipled and growing in the Lord, it will cost us something. And then I want us to look at Philippians chapter number 1 because I want us to get to letter I. And I'll try to finish these last uh, several real quickly here tonight. Philippians chapter 1. And look with me if you would at verse number 9. Here's letter I tonight. Discipleship will do this. It'll teach us something. It'll teach us to intercede regularly. Letter I, if we're going to disciple somebody, if we're going to have an interest and an investment in somebody's life, it will cause us to intercede regularly. That means that we will learn as, uh, as we are discipleshipping, as we, excuse me, as we are discipling individuals, as we're involved in discipleship, it'll teach us to pray for others, maybe like we've never prayed for those people before. Look at what it says in Philippians 1 and verse number 9. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge, and in all judgment. What does Paul say there at the start of verse number 9? He says, this I, what's the next word? Pray. He says, I've been praying for you. And he says, I've been praying for you that you would grow and you would increase in learning. What was Paul doing? He was interceding for those people that he was working to see saved and he was working to see growing in the Lord. It'll cause us to intercede for others in a greater way. Again, maybe in a way that we've never interceded before. Again, go back to the illustration of a parent. We can just keep going back to that. Just like a parent would pray for their child. They want to see their child growing in the Lord. They want to see their child saved. And so they're praying for them. Interceding regularly for others. And then letter P. Letter P. Oh, this is something that's really, really, we've got, we've got to say this one. Because it's going to happen. As we disciple individuals, as we have a discipleship ministry here in our church. Letter P. Prepare for oppositions, prepare for challenges, and prepare for disappointments. When you've got a, a, a discipleship ministry, when you're trying to see people saved, when you're trying to see people growing in the Lord, you're going to face opposition. You're going to have some challenges. You're going to have some disappointments from time to time. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that even of his own disciples. He said, how long, he said, do I have to be with you before you understand these things? How, 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 how long is it going to take you until you understand the things that I'm trying to get you to figure out? You say, well, why was it that it, that it that it took them so long? Here's the challenge I want to give you tonight. As we, as God's people, are working with people, the devil is trying to work on them too. We're working on them. We're trying to help them. But the devil, oh, he's busy as well, isn't he? Now, now, now when a... When a, when a uh, when a, a child is born, it, it changes their appetite, doesn't it? Because a child, when they're first born, they, they, they at, at birth begin eating from their mouth. They've never done that before. But they start eating from their mouth. It changes their appetite. Nothing goes into the mouth until that time. But, boy, they want to open the mouth. They want to start taking, right? Well, when a person is first spiritually born, it changes their appetite, doesn't it? They're spiritually wanting to take in, aren't they? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. They're wanting to take in. And so just like that baby when it's first born, the, 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 the doctors will tell you the, the first milk that a mother produces, that doctor wants that baby to have it, doesn't he? 
And he realizes the first uh, milk that that mother's going to produce, he wants that baby to have it because he realizes that's going to help to strengthen the baby. That's going to help to help its immune system and, 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 and cause the first uh, moments of its life to be growing the way that it should. Spiritually speaking, as newborn babes, Christians that are growing in the Lord, they need spiritual food quickly, don't they? They need to start growing in the Lord right away, don't they? So that they can mature to be the Christian that God wants them to be. But hold on now, the whole entire time though, as a newborn child of God is trying to grow in the Lord, the devil is fighting the whole entire time. Because we've got an enemy today, the devil, who is a master at killing babies, isn't he? If we don't believe that, just look at the abortions today. The devil is a master at killing babies. We read it in the scripture. Think about Pharaoh. When Pharaoh tried to take the lives of those babies and Moses was rescued, wasn't he? He tried to take the lives of those babies. The devil's a master at it. Think about Herod as he tried to take the life of Jesus. The devil is a master at it. And can I say this? It's the same with a newborn child of God. The devil is a master at trying to kill them. We're trying to work with them. We're trying to help them, but prepare for opposition because the devil's not going to want them to grow, is he? And he's going to want to fight. And he's going to want us to see disappointments. And he's going to want us to have discouragements. But like we talked about this morning, we just got to keep pressing on, don't we? We got to persevere. We got to have endurance that's long. We got to have stick to like we talked about this morning. Because the devil's going to oppose. The devil's going to try to discourage. He's going to try to disappoint. And so let's make sure we're prepared for that. And we're ready to battle the devil because he's out to kill and destroy those who are firstborn spiritually. Now, he can't take their soul. But he can sure take away their influence for Christ as we're trying to see him grow in the Lord. Now, letter L, as we finish tonight, I want you to be encouraged by this. As a disciple, we're going to have to live out what we teach others. Disciple, letter L, we're going to have to live out what we teach other people. The Bible says of Paul to Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 2, he says, let, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. In word and conversation, he goes on purity and he gives a list of things that he's to be an example of. Can I say this? As, you, as we, you and I are discipling other people, we've got to live a life of example. We're, 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 we're mentoring people, but we also are modeling what we are showing to somebody else. It's not like that old statement, well, you do what I tell you to do and not what you see me doing. No, it's living a life of an example. It's living a life of model as we show individuals how they're to grow in the Lord. And then the last thought tonight with the letter E, and this is perhaps maybe the most encouraging one tonight. When you're learning to disciple individuals, you'll get to experience eternal joy. You'll get to experience eternal joy. All oh, the Bible talks about it. It says, he that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with, what's the next word? Rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. God says, you go out to try to see others come to know Christ as Savior, and you'll be rejoicing. Uh, one last verse I want us to look at, and we'll finish tonight. 3 John. Look at 3 John, and look down, if you would, at verse number 4. 3 John and verse number 4. Notice what he says here. He says, I have no greater joy. You've probably heard this before. You've heard this verse. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Now, is he talking about his 
his, his children that he, he is, that, that he, he has given birth to, his birth children? No, he's talking about those who he has personally led to the Lord. And he said, there's no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in truth. These children are converts that John has led to the Lord. And he says, these converts are growing in the Lord. And guess what? That brings me joy. It brings me eternal joy that they are growing in the Lord. Remember, we said this last week when we were talking about fruitfulness. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. So we see somebody come to trust Christ as Savior, and then when we're seeing them grow in the Lord, it brings us great joy. Let's be a church that's active as a church as a whole now in discipleship, but personally, what can we do to be a disciple to others that are around us? Father, I pray that you take this message tonight that we preach from the Word of God. Lord, encourage our hearts tonight. Maybe tonight before we leave, there'd be somebody that would like to respond and maybe come to the altar for just a moment.